Welcome to the London First Baptist Church podcast. This is the Sunday morning service of November 17th from Pastor Brett Cottrell. It is good to be here this morning as we resume our study through the Gospel of Mark. So I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 13 in your Bibles this morning. And as we looked at Mark 13 a couple weeks ago, at least we looked at the first portion of this chapter, we, we recognized that Jesus is speaking to some things that are going to be or that have yet to happen. And we saw in the first 13 verses last, or a couple weeks ago, that uh, Jesus gave his disciples a heads up on some things that were on the way. And in those first 13 verses, without getting back into the details, he basically said this, don't panic, <clears throat> excuse me, don't panic when some difficult things come because they're necessary. They have to happen. They're on the way, and I've told you about it. Don't panic when they arise because it's necessary. So he's, he's giving us a heads up that difficulties are coming, they're necessary, they're signs of the end, but they aren't necessarily in, in and of themselves. And he also said that when difficulties arise, the endurance through those things is a sign of repentance and salvation. So those are some things we were reminded of a couple of weeks ago. Now, we're going to try to finish most of this chapter this morning. Now, there's a lot there, and you may think that's rather ambitious, and it probably is, but we're going to get through it. And as we do so, we're going to begin reading this morning in verse 14. And a reminder to us as we read these verses, our goal is not to do a detailed look this morning of the end times. We're not going to do a comprehensive look at all those things that are yet to happen. Or hopefully our goal is the same as what Jesus' was here, and that is to do some, some prep work, some, some preparing for those things that are yet to come. There's information here. Some of it's mysterious. Some of it sounds rather apocalyptic and, and dangerous and hard, and all those things are true. But we are in a time here in Mark 13 when Jesus is preparing not only himself, but his disciples for the things that are about to come in the next few days. His, his, uh, his arrest, his, his torture, his crucifixion, and his death, and ultimately his resurrection. And the disciples are anxious about the future. And some of you may well be as well. There are times that we get anxious and nervous about what is to come. We're just a few weeks away from the turn of another new year. And sometimes we wonder what the next coming months or the next coming year may have in store. So we begin nervous and sometimes we want answers. We want to know what the future holds. And while Jesus here does give the disciples some information, he doesn't give them as many details as perhaps they would have liked. And perhaps he doesn't give us as many details as you and I would like. But nonetheless, he gives them some information. So let's read Mark 13, beginning in verse 14. When you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand that those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. The one who is on the housetop must not go down or go in to get anything out of his house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, Pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never will. Unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or behold, he's there, do not believe him. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. 
But take heed. Behold, I have told you everything in advance. But in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then He will send forth His angels and will gather together His elect from the four winds, from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that He is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all those things, these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It's like a man away on a journey who upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, in case he should come suddenly and find you asleep. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word this morning, we do so with great humility. Lord, we understand that we're trying to comprehend things that are of heaven. We're trying to get a glimpse as to your actions and what's on your mind, and we do so with, with limited earthly minds. Grant us this morning the wisdom and the activity of your Spirit that we may gain from these words what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If we look back to the Old Testament, we would see a great many passages that we now recognize as prophecies about the Messiah. From Genesis chapter 3 on through the book of Malachi, we recognize that there are countless scriptures that predict and prophesy about the one that we know as Jesus Christ. And some of those prophecies have more detail than others. Some are, are kind of vague. Some give great amount of information in fact there's enough information there that jesus will chide and kind of tease the pharisees and his own disciples saying there's enough information in what we would call you and i the old testament that they should have recognized immediately who jesus is now there are those specific prophecies and some of those we'll read and see as we get closer to christmas we we read some of those coming into the christmas season some of them are are predictions or prophecies or, or some of those are, are things that are a little more general. And sometimes we see that God simply tells us how He's going to work by modeling it for us. He demonstrates His technique in the way He's going to operate, whether it's through Noah or whether it's through Joseph or whether it's through David. And He puts before us patterns of behavior that we are to recognize when Jesus shows up on the scene. And by the same token, we have prophecies that are yet to have happened. Things that are coming that has as of yet not yet taken place and some of those prophecies are simply god modeling for us big picture things that says when i act when i return you will recognize the pattern here are some things to be looking for and there are other times he gives us more detailed information some of those details are here in mark chapter 13 
So as we read these details, as we read these prophecies, as we see the patterns of God's behavior, He's giving us things that, as we look to the future, will be signs for us, things that we can see and recognize that are in, tells us that He's close to returning. That's the idea behind this passage of Scripture. Now, we recognize that when Jesus or when God was giving us prophecies about Jesus' first arrival, while He did give us a lot of information, He told us what town He would be born in. He told us what lineage He would be from as a descendant physically of, of David. And while He did give us some, some information, God did not say on such and such date when Herod is king and there are shepherds out over here. He, he didn't do that, did He? He just gave signs. He gave general ideas. He didn't say, oh, by the way, when Rome is in charge or when this or He just gave us signs. And by the same token, God has not done the same thing for us this morning about days yet to come. He hasn't announced dates. He hasn't announced times. He hasn't announced who's going to be in charge or what the powers will be or what their names will be. He's given us general signs and things to be looking for and to recognize. Enough so that he expects us, Jesus does, to recognize these signs when they happen in the same way he would have expected the people of his day to recognize the signs of his own birth and his own arrival. So these signs about the Messiah are what we're going to be looking at this morning. Now again, what he gives us here in these verses that we just read, while there's information in it, is not enough for you and I to get real detailed. Perhaps not as detailed as you and I would like. I mean, let's face it, we think that we would like the idea that God would tell us what year. We think we do. How many of us, well, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but there's a lot of people out there who want to know the date. And here's the reason I know that. Because every author who's ever claimed to know the date has written a book, and it's sold a lot of copies. Guys make, living, make a living on writing books that tell us when everything's going to happen. And they sell a lot of books. So I know from that that a lot of people want to know when Jesus is coming. Now, I, I think we want to know. But the truth is, if God gave us a date, the truth is, I think it would just actually freak most people out. And the closer to the date we got, the, the more panicky we would become. God does not give us that date. He doesn't give us that type of detail. But He does give us some information this morning. So as we look at this passage, and again, we're not going to be able to work through this morning every detail of this. It would take us some months to do, and we don't, we're not going to do that right now. But the first thing he does is he does tell us in verse 14 there's something called when you see the abomination of desolation. Now, again, a couple weeks ago we talked about the birth pangs or the opening signs that the end might be on the way. And that's all they were. They weren't the signs themselves. They were the signs that the end is on the way. Now, here he says this, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he should not be. And actually, it really should be the word he, not it, which is an interesting thing. What is Jesus talking about the abomination of desolation? Because this, this event, whatever it is, seems to be the linchpin from signs that things are on the way to it's here. <laughs> now, what is the abomination of desolation? Well, there's a couple different understandings of this. Now, one of them is in the past, about 150 some odd years, a little bit more than that, before Jesus was here, there was, in the, in the earlier part of the 2nd century B.C., a guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. And he was a descendant of Alexander. 
and he, had, he was in charge of the area that encompassed modern-day Israel. And Israel uh, existed as a nation at that point in time. There had been a temple rebuilt, not the temple that was around in Herod's day, an earlier version. And as this gentleman, as, as, as Antiochus, came into Israel, he, he came into the temple, to the Holy of Holies, and to the altar there, and he took a pig and he killed a pig on the altar, declared himself to be a god, and banned the practice of worship in Jerusalem. Now you can imagine how the Jews responded to that. And that's called an abomination or the abomination of desolation. It actually goes back to a phrase that's in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, in Daniel's visions of the end of the world, so to speak. And so Jesus is talking about when you see this. So in their eyes, they would have been looking for another version of what Antiochus Epiphanes did. That is, someone going into the temple and desecrating it and declaring themselves to be a god. Now, some people look at history and something similar to that actually happened again in the 65 to 70 A.D. range before the temple was destroyed by the Romans. And some people look forward to still perhaps this, another one to happen in the future, perhaps by someone called the Antichrist. But whatever the details are, when Jesus says, listen, there is something coming. And when this happens, when you see this, understand it's about to get really bad. And in fact, he goes out of his way to say, when you see this happening, you run away. <laughs> he says, don't hang out in Jerusalem. Don't hang out in town. Don't hide in your basement. He says, you run to the hills because it's about to get bad. In fact, he says, it's going to get so bad that it's never been that bad before. And he goes on to describe what is almost a, a horrific series of events. In fact, he describes it as something in verse 20 that it's going to be so bad that God actually puts an end to it early for the sake of those who are believers. So whatever is about to happen when the abomination of desolation is when it takes place, whatever, however bad you think things have been in the past, we can look back to Noah's day and go, that was pretty bad. We can look back on events even in the 20th century, the 21st century, and go, man, there has been, can you imagine this? There have been horrific things that happened in the last hundred years, haven't they? I mean, just, just a couple years ago, we, we marked the end of the First World War back in 1917. Millions died in World War I. They called the World War I the war to end all wars. And what took place 20 years later? World War II. And there, and we don't, I don't have to cite the stats there. We know six, at the very least 6 million Jews were killed on top of hundreds of thousands and millions of others. And the 20th century just kept on going. Dictator after dictator, regime after regime, killing millions upon millions of people over the 20th century, and it has continued into the 21st century. And understand that what Jesus says is coming is worse than all of that. In fact, it's so bad what's coming that he has to stop it short, otherwise everyone would be dead. Now, that sounds incredibly frightening, doesn't it? Here's the thing we need to take from this. Whatever's on the way, well, too, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me just keep on going here for a second. He gives us this clue. This is going to be bad. 
And he goes on to say in verse 24, in case you think that's bad. The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, stars will be falling from heaven. Now, people have speculated what that might look like. Is it an eclipse? Is it nuclear war? I don't know. It's also language, and uh, these, these are phrases that are common to Hebrew apocalyptic literature, and some of those phrases are just, they're just, they're just phrases, they're idioms that mean really, really bad. <laughs> they're phrases that mean cosmic catastrophe. And so we have this idea that there's going to be massive amounts of death, massive tragedy, not just on a human scale, but on a natural scale a cosmic scale, the stars and the earth and all those things included. It's going to get absolutely horrific. Now, if we just pause there for a second, what are the, what are the first couple of things that we can learn this morning through all this? And that is this, what I just stated, that there are not just for us as believers, but for this world, there are dark, terrible, horrific days ahead. I don't know if these days are five years from now, five days from now, or 50 years from now, or 500. I don't know. But they're ahead. Now, we have a couple different ways that we can respond to that. We could, get, we could uh, uh, bunker down, we, we could turn into survivalists and buy a buy a cabin in the woods in Idaho and build a basement, a bunker, a nuclear bunker, and bring all kinds of canned food in there and just hide. We could do that. And there have been believers throughout the years who have done exactly that. There have been some believers who, and Paul does with them in the book of First and Second Thessalonians, there are some who just quit their jobs and said, we'll just live until God comes and, and just shut down from the world. That's another way you can do it. I don't think that's what Jesus is wanting us to do here. In fact, I think it's quite the opposite. But we do need to know this. There are horrific times coming, and he's letting us know ahead of time that they're on their way. That we'll see signs not just in the political and military events of the day, but we're going to see signs in the natural world as well. And then he says, all this is taking place. All these things are going to happen. And it's going to be awful. And then verse 26 then we will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He's already mentioned once, and he'll mention again, that there are going to be those who will say, oh, I'm the Christ, or I'm the Christ, or he's over here, he's over there. And Jesus is saying, don't you believe a word of it. We're coming to the time of Christmas here, just a few weeks. And we recognize that at Christmas, as we look at the birth of the Savior, we recognize that not everyone saw that he was coming. Not everyone recognized it. It kind of happened in a quiet little backwater town in a backwater country, and only a few people knew about it. The whole world wasn't alerted to the fact that Jesus was, in fact, born and that the king was on earth. Now, let me share something with you. The next time he arrives, it won't be so subtle. Look at this. He says... They will see, that they is, this is a universal they. They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. The next time Jesus shows up, it won't be in a manger where no one's paying attention. It will be in the skies that everyone will know without a shadow of a doubt who that is that just knocked on the front door. 
The next time Jesus shows up, you won't have to be wondering, I wonder if that was him. There's not, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, there are guys out there even today, there's some in Russia, there's some in Africa, there's some even in the United States, that claim to be Jesus. Well, here's the first way we know they aren't. He said, the next time I show up, it'll be in the sky with clouds and glory. You're going to know it the next time Jesus shows up, and there won't be a doubt about it. It's going to be like lightning across the sky. It's going to be bright. It's going to be loud. It's going to be shiny. And the whole world will see it. How does that happen? I don't know. That's what he said. So I'll say this. Don't believe anybody who says that they are the Christ or they know where he's at. Because the next time you see him, you're going to know it's him. And there won't be any doubt about it. All right? <laughs> no questions. So he says, this is going to happen. Things are bad. They're going to get really bad. And they're going to, they're going to come and it's going to be horrific on a scale that we have never, ever seen before. And then he's going to come. And by the way, these difficult things that are on the way, all the stuff we're just reading about here, is part of a plan. He's already told us, we saw this last or two weeks ago, these things must happen. These are, these are things that are going to take place, not just because we as a human race have sinned and brought disaster upon ourselves, but it's going to happen because we have sinned and God is saying, that's enough. Bam! <laughs> there's, going to be a, there's going to be some divine whacking upside the head. That's what's on the way. I want you to see something here next. Verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. We have dark, horrific, cataclysmic things at some point ahead of us. I don't know if it's in my lifetime or yours or not. I don't know. I do know this, that not only those dark times ahead, Jesus has said that heaven and earth will pass away. That means that everything you and I see, everything that you and I think of as normal existence, part of our world, all those things that we treasure are going to disappear. They're going to go away. They will leave our existence. There is an end coming. And what you and I generally think of as life, the things of this world, what's normal, will cease to exist. History will end as we know it. Now, what that means is this. It means some of the same things that Jesus has already told us earlier in his ministry. It means this, that the things of this world are temporary. From your car to your checking account to your job to your house, to the people you know, the lives on this earth, the things that we often find ourselves so invested in are like a vapor. They do not last. You all know what it looks like. We've seen some of it just the last couple of weeks as it gets really cold outside. And you see that vapor coming up off the lake. Lasts about 15, 20 feet up in the air. Then what happens to it? It begins to disappear, doesn't it? That's our lives. That's this world. That's history. It will come to a screeching end. And here's the thing about it, that end, that climactic finale, has already been written down. 
It's been planned out in detail. It's been put in place. It's going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's not a matter of maybe, it is on the way. So at least in terms of our world understanding of history, of space and time, it's going to go away because there is an end that's already been determined. And that end is not about Israel. It's not about Israel's history. It's not about the United States and U.S. history. It's not about Europe or Europe's history, Africa or Africa's history. It's not about human history. It's the Bible, the world, is not our story. It is God's story. You and I, it's His world. We're just living in it, so to speak, to borrow a phrase. And there's an end to the story that God has written. And the story, the end of the story has got nothing to do with China, Russia, or even the United States. It's got everything to do with Jesus Christ and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. It's their story. The next major event of this world is not another war. The next major event of this world is the second coming of Christ. When He comes and takes His people with Him and this world comes to an end. That's the next massive act of redemption in God's history. Isaiah 40 tells us the history of the nations, whether it's ancient Egypt or ancient Babylon or ancient Israel, whether it's modern-day Russia or the United States, all the nations are but a drop of water in a massive bucket. We are nothing but a clump of sand in the hands of the Almighty Creator. That's you and I, that's our nation, that's our nation's history, that's every nation's history. It pours like sand through his fingers. The sand is not the story. You and I are not the story, our nations are not the story. God is the story. And he has an end that's already in place. It's his history. So we know from this chapter, this morning already one, we have some really cataclysmic things on the way. Two, the end has already been written. And three, this is his story, not our story. In fact, he even says this, my words, he says, all this will pass away. My words will not pass away. The only thing that you and I have this morning that's lasting is not these walls. It's not the sound system or the carpet or the chairs. It's not the air conditioning system. It's not even the land itself. It's the Word of God. Here's why we read it multiple times throughout the worship service. This is why we base everything we want to be as a church on what the Scripture says, not on what we want or what somebody else wants. Because the Word of God is the only thing that lasts. Fads come and go. People come and go. Furniture comes and goes. The Word of God lasts forever. So we are here on the Word of God. See, it's the one thing we have this morning that will not leave us or pass away besides our own salvation. It's why we seek to the best of our ability to base all that we do on a given Sunday or a Wednesday night or just life in general on His Word. My words, your words, our plans, vapor. His Word, His plans, eternal. And by the way, that means His Word is good not just for a Sunday morning. It means it's good for a Monday morning too. 
It means that this word tells us how best to handle our finances, how best to work, how best to handle our kids or our parents or our friends. It, it has everything that we need to know for how we interact with other people, how we handle our business, how we pay our taxes. All those things are in God's word. It does not pass away. Next thing we know is this. Verse 32, on that day, or but of that day or of that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven. I've already referred to this once. I don't care how much decoding some guy has done. I don't care how many times some author has examined the Hebrew language and thinks he's found a mathematical code that tells us what year the world will end. I don't care if someone has figured out what generations mean and they believe they have an understanding of what the end days or when it will happen. Jesus himself says, I don't know. Only the Father knows. And anyone else who says they know is lying. Period. Exclamation point. End of sentence. So the moment someone says to you, I have figured out the end days, you realize that man as of that moment, is a false prophet and ignore everything else he says. All right? End of the, end of the story. It's, there's just no doubt about that. Jesus himself says, I don't know when it's going to happen. Only the Father knows. No one else does. So if someone else knows what it is, either they know more than Jesus does or they're a liar, I'm betting on the second one. All right? He says, the time is unknown. In fact, the whole point of this passage, if we're going to see in these last few verses, the whole point of everything Jesus is saying is this. The disciples ask, when is it going to happen? He doesn't tell them. He says, well, here's some signs. But he says, no one knows. So you want to know when it's going to happen? He goes, I can't tell you. I'm not going to tell you. But it's un since it is unknown, I can tell you this. He spends these last seven verses talking to us. And he says, nobody knows, so... Your alternative is this, be ready. That's the point. Be ready. The time is unknown. Look at verse 33. Take heed, keep on the alert. You do not know when the appointed time will come. And he gives a, a parable there, and then earlier he referred to the fig tree parable. He said the fig tree parable says this, recognize the signs, Realize that when these things happen, you need to be watching out. But understand this. Here's the last, here's the last parable he told us about the, about the landowner. Even when you see the signs, you realize you don't necessarily know when things are going to happen. So your job is to be on the alert and to be ready. Now, how do we do that? How do we be on the alert? How are we supposed to be ready? He gives us an illustration. He says, you're, imagine you're the doorkeeper. You're the guard. You're the, you're the outlook for this guy's house. It's your job to make sure that you tell everybody else when the, the owner's coming back. And he says, you be on the alert. You look at, you're looking for him, whether the evening or the midnight, crows, or the crows or in the morning. Be on the alert. Now that watchman, when he's out there looking, is he taking a nap? I think it's just been a couple weeks ago. Um, there was a, I, I forget where it was at. There was an episode of a, of a 911 call that uh, a lady was in danger 
and she called 911. They didn't respond quickly. It turns out that both the 911 operator and the supervisor were watching TV. And because they were more worried about the TV show, they weren't taking her, this, this lady's phone call, seriously. And as a result, they delayed in getting help dispatched, and the lady died. That's called not being on the alert. And I wonder, if we just really think about this, are you and I watching TV, or are we on the alert? Are we sitting back enjoying our existence? Are we sitting back investing all our time and all our energy and all our attention on things that are going to disappear like vapor? Or are we on the alert for the one whose words will never pass away? What's got our attention? When you're on the alert, there's nothing else you're looking for. You're looking for that. If you're the guy in this parable here, you're looking for the owner to come back. If you are on alert for Christ, you're looking for Christ. You're not paying attention to anything else. If it's not him, you're ignoring it because what you're looking for, you're looking for him. How do we become ready? First of all, this, for those of you who are already believers this morning, it simply is this, be on the alert. Be watchful. Tell people he's coming. And if this morning you do not know Christ, the way to be alert, the way to be ready is to know Christ. The young lady that we saw baptized this morning, She's now ready for Christ. Whether she realizes it or not, she is. The way to be ready for when Christ shows up, and he tells us parable after parable about this throughout the Gospels, is to first of all know him, to have a relationship with him. You saw several times this picture of Jesus coming back. When he comes back, he's going to gather his people together. You want to be ready for that day? Be one of his people. Simple as that. How do I do that? I recognize that my own sin has separated me from God, and there's nothing I can do about it, but that God in His great mercy and His great love sent Christ to take the penalty for my sin onto His shoulders, so to speak. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. He died on that cross, and on the third day after His death, He defeated my penalty by raising back to life. And if I give my life to him, if I believe that, if I confess him as Lord of my life, believe that God has raised him from the dead, I will be saved, I will know him, and I will be ready when he shows back up. Simple as that. That's what it means to be ready. And once you've been ready, now you're on the alert. You're watching and you're waiting. The signs are out there. There's indications of when things might happen, but in the end, we don't know the date, so all we can do is like the people of Israel in Exodus have the bags packed for the moment that the slavery of Egypt is terminated. That's where you and I are at this morning. He tells us to be ready.